You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. Hi, I'm John Teeter, Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. Welcome back. This week is going to be a great week. I'm starting to get uh, my old folks back here, the people that have been on this podcast for the past year talking about habitat. Rocky Burris is back with SA Farms Management, and uh, he's got a bunch of things to talk about today. I'm going to kind of let him go and uh, just things that he's been experiencing during the season with clients, questions he's been getting. I think it'll be very helpful for anybody in the field or thinking about habitat season or collecting data or maybe hunting. So let me get him on. Hey, Rocky, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, buddy. Hey, man, welcome back. It's been a bit for uh, for you and I. I think uh, kind of preseason, I know you killed a wonderful deer. You've had, I think, a few successes beyond that, and I know your clients are doing pretty well. How, how's your season been? What, what's what's happened there? Well, I've had a unique season this year. <laughs> I've uh, It's been, you know, I've kind of looked back on how long it's been since I've actually pulled a shot on a deer we rifle hunt a lot here in the south and, and in Tennessee. Uh, our, most of our season is rifle. Um, so it's been a long time since I missed one, and uh, I did miss a really nice one this year. Uh, it was a long shot. Um, he was trotting. And believe it or not, I've had a struggle trying to find ammunition for my gun. So with that struggle came uh, every time I pulled the trigger, I was – shorter and shorter on ammo <laughs> so <laughs> so i killed a coyote or two and then i and then i got uh blessed with a really nice eight point and i ended up shooting him at like 408 yards my longest deer ever to harvest and you know my gun set up right and i've never like i said it's been 17 years since i had missed a deer oh. and then my target buck the target buck, the only buck that I've been thinking about all season, 
shows up on camera and I get excited and it's right here at the rut. So I take off to my go-to stand where I've killed a couple, you know, deer that would go all over 160. And for Tennessee, I mean, it's just an excellent deer. And this one's right there with them. And I just, I shanked it, man. <laughs> he came out. <laughs> He had four, three other bucks. It was four bucks total. Three other bucks were right behind him, and it was at 380. And that's that's still a long shot. But he, uh, they were walking, and the hot doe had already run through like two minutes earlier. And I'd be dang if he's just walking real slow. And then as soon as I get geared up, I'm just like, oh, that's him, that's him, no doubt. And I'm getting ready to shoot, and he has these other three bucks in tow. He's like keeping them, I guess at bay <laughs> keeping them off of her trail but he just starts trotting out of nowhere so i'm yelling at him doing anything i can to get him to stop and he will not stop and i have maybe 50 more yards and he's going to make it to the thicket where she ran into and and who knows if they come back so i just i anticipated having two bullets left and so out of pure panic, I, I popped a shot quick with him trotting, and I missed. And he jumped like I hit him, and he turned and ran straight at me. And I just put it dead on his chest, and I clicked. I only had one bullet. So, yeah, I, I got to watch him turn and run in the woods, and I was like, heart sank. And I was like, ah, maybe I hit him. Maybe I, and I, no blood. So, we looked in the bedding area a little bit and, and all the way I shot and just absolutely no blood. So, you know, two days later, mm -hmm. I, I go with my buddy back to that same spot, but I take him and he works for me, but he's a real good friend of mine. And we, we do a lot of the management work together and I put him on one bedding area side and I went on the other where I'd missed him. And I'll be dang if, seven o'clock he doesn't text me i think i shot him and i was like oh no so so i had to swallow that pill you know that i done put my buddy on the biggest deer of his life and it was the deer that i was really obsessed about so it kind of i had to it, it was hard to swallow but we i joke around with him about how he's never gonna hunt with me again because he shot my biggest deer but <laughs> Wow. But oh, yeah, so then I mean, it wasn't two days later. I switched guns to my wife's gun that we haven't shot in eight years. I shot it on a table, zeroed it. Had a had a buck come out uh, that I was really really respectable mid one forties, and I shoot at him two times at one hundred and fifty yards, and he doesn't even act like I'm shooting at him. So I was like, what in the world? So I just quit shooting, and had and he chased the doe off. And I went back and started looking at the gun, and the the screw and the stock was missing. So somehow, when I set it in the window of that blind, it was pushing the stock up on the barrel and causing that shot to shoot high. I mean, I just had bad luck after bad luck. So, <laughs> needless to say, I found five boxes of ammunition on on Gun Broker. So. Thankfully, I'm back in the game. That, that's good. Uh, people probably want to know, what what kind of gun are you shooting? What was your original gun, and, and uh, what was the, the ammunition or the, the caliber of, of gun you're shooting? So I, I love uh, a flat shooting gun, and I shoot a 300 Winchester short mag. Okay. And it, it shoots really true to – it's real comparable to like a 6.5. Yeah. And a lot of people shoot long range with that. So I wanted a gun, though, that I felt like – I could take on an elk hunt 
and not have to switch guns. I would just know this gun inside and out and know that it could shoot long range and be very accurate. So there's no such thing to me as a two dead of a deer <laughs> when it comes to whitetails. So, I mean, I, so everybody, you know, some people may think it's a, a little bit overkill, but I mean, a harvest deer is a harvest deer. So I'm not, I'm more proud of the deer than I am the weapon. So I just wanted to make sure that, uh, I found a weapon that I, a, a bullet and caliber that I really liked and it, it would do, it would make the mediocre shot a, a lethal shot. So, uh, I found fusion 165 shot unbelievable out of that gun, like one inch groups at 400. So when you find that combination of that gun and that bullet, you know, I don't, I won't change it. Like there's nothing that you can, you can tell me this bullet will explode the deer. I will not change because I know what that gun does. So, you know, I just really wouldn't go buy any other ammo, but that, and I could not find it. I could not find any fusions. I had people laugh at me when I asked for it, you know? So literally I got scammed on, on, uh, on what is it not facebook but uh what's the other one i can't i just had a brain block instagram maybe instagram <laughs> instagram or... yes i was on instagram and i got scammed believe it or not 250 dollars. i tried to buy five boxes from this guy that had an ammo store and it was nothing but a scam and he he took my money on venmo and I, there's nothing you can do about it if you try to buy something on venmo i was that panicked that i was like i gotta get ammunition and I didn't double check or try to play it safe. I just trusted somebody, and of course they got me. Yeah. And yep. you know, so then I had a, a guy that had was on gun broker, and he said, "Dude, I have five boxes right here that I can get you. You just have to sign your name up, do this, do that." I was like, "Dude, just buy them. I'll send you the money." <laughs> yeah. So he did, and I and I got them like a week later. So. Well, I, I had. A, <laughs> yeah, I, I can I can totally relate to you a hundred percent. I. So I, it's shotgun where I am at and, uh, I've got a Savage, uh, 220 and, uh, pretty popular gun, bolt action. A lot of people use those around here. Um, I have, geez, I have a bunch of shotguns for deer hunting and, and, uh, but that was a newer gun. So I got it all outfitted and I, I try to get ammunition for it. I shoot these, uh, three inch Barnes Vortex out of it and it shoots lights out and, uh, you know, with the the difficulty of finding ammo, I bought as much as I could. You know, and you know, you're spending three, four hundred dollars on am, ammunition, and it's like it's just it's crazy. It's just crazy mm -hmm. to spend that when, yeah, I just can't get over the price of things nowadays and how expensive. Boy, the price oh, per yeah. pound is through the roof, huh? Um, yeah, but but it, but it is what it is, and I'm you know as as much as you had your difficulties, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that. That makes you think a little bit more about your setup. And, and I'd caution everybody. I mean, this is a good tale for all of us is, you know, making sure you're dialed in and, you know, ready to go and you're confident in your weapon. And, of course, these things do happen. Guns get bumped. They fall. Uh, I saw a couple of years ago, I was hunting with a bunch of guys and we were doing deer drives. And, man, I just saw the, the use and abuse of their guns. I'm like, man, they just have no idea, you know, how that that's going to impact the accuracy of that gun. It's just how they handle it. And so, you know, be careful. And, uh, obviously, safety's key. All right, let's um let's go let's get into quick some of your client success. I know that you've posted a whole bunch of pictures of clients. Some clients have done pretty well this year. Just want to give a little synopsis on that. Yeah, um, we've had we've had some good success. I think a lot of the guys have 
gotten so picky it's hard for me to get too many pictures of success <laughs> so yeah they uh they send me pictures of deer and 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 different size deer and it's like how old is he and how old is this and everybody's really starting to focus on the age of the animal and trying to get the deer to the right age so they can see that you know the maximum potential it, c- it could put out so um I'm seeing, uh, I had a couple clients, one in Mississippi just here recently, uh, uh, get a really nice deer and, um, a couple in Tennessee did one guy shot a deer that he thought it was, uh, the big deer and he had like three bucks chasing one doe and ended up shooting the wrong one. So now he's trying his best to get the big one, but, uh, just, just stuff like that. I mean, we've had a kid that lost a couple deer. We had, uh, one kid shoot a mid 130s to 140 range deer, and uh, the dog actually jumped the deer and jumped to 160, tracking, uh, trying to trying to recover the deer. So we, we're hope we're hopeful that that deer will survive. But you know, it's just one of those deals that we were just talking about. I mean, you got to really know your weapon, and it seemed like something must have happened, you know, and didn't get that deer, but. So I've had some good client success and a lot of, a lot of my clients seem to be still after their, their bigger deer. Uh, they're letting deer walk that they never let walk before, you know? So, you know, it's these newer clients, you know, you have to, it's a little process of, of trying to get that age class to where, where they want it to be. So, you know, some of those years could be a little slower, but uh, seeing lots of deer and seeing lots of good deer. Yeah. I've had this year, like a lot of clients, <clears throat> I think, I think we have dreamers, uh, people that have these expectations that are unrealistic. And then I try to dial that in and, and I'm realistic with myself where I'm at. And it, it's, it humbles you quite a bit trying to go after some of these deer. Maybe it's just a single deer, but I, I had a really weird call this year. I have a client, he's super covert. I think he would be the version of me if I wasn't doing this you know, professionally, you know, I wouldn't say anything to anybody. I would tell nobody, nothing. Like I was a ghost. I never existed. And uh, he's kind of that kind of guy. He doesn't want to talk about anything. He's, he's, there's no social media. Um, and I'll just say he's, uh, he's in the Western part of our state and he killed this monster buck and he's telling me about the deer describing it. He gave me the score and, uh, it was close to Boone and Crockett. And, um, <clears throat> he said he wouldn't take pictures of it. He wouldn't show family members it. He's only told a few people about the deer, and uh, I, I just found it so interesting, like, you know, how secretive uh, he, he was about this particular deer. And the only reason I bring that up is, and I've said this before a couple of times on the podcast, there's some areas where, you know, the, the story gets out. Somebody thinks there's another deer just like that, you know, behind the, the next tree, and, and that's not really always the case. In fact, it's probably not normally the case at all. These are exceptional deer, and being a high-end deer like that, you know, he, he wanted to be super quiet. He wouldn't send me a picture. He just told me the score of it, its weight. Uh, he aged it. He toothwear aged it. But, you know, how inaccurate that can be. And, uh, you know, so he was pretty proud of that deer. But, you know, I just, I found some, I've had some really weird examples. A couple guys killed 150s this year. For me in my area, that's almost like you. It's like, that's an anomaly. I'm looking at 110 to 120 is like top end. So I get guys killing those deer. I'm really happy about that. And usually those are three or four year old, 
you know, deer, we're not talking, you know, properties that are, you know, five, six, you know, miles in size. And we're talking 20, 30, 40, 50, 70 acres. You know, they're just not big parcels and they're just, you know, building kind of this landscape, this metropolis. So, you know, it's just kind of creating good attraction values and, you know, they, they know when to hunt. And like you said, it takes time. All right. So I know people ask you a lot of questions that, and they don't bother you with things, but they, uh, they want information from you. And so, you know, you have a lot of knowledge uh, in, in respect to looking at deer, evaluating deer, you know, from an age class, size, et cetera. You know, let's get into some stories of questions you got this year that, that you had to respond to with clients or people that were just intrigued by, uh, by your business. Well, I, I think the, probably the number one thing that seems like this year is that age class uh, off of photos. And, you know, for a while there, uh, for a year or so, there, year two, there was a lot of people wanting to know score. And it seems like things have kind of gravitated towards age. And, and I kind of, I relate to that just because of the fact that, you know, age is where what you can control you can't really control what that deer's genetics is so um you can't really make every deer a 160 like you just mentioned i mean those deer are just so hard to find and you can definitely can't uh change that genetics and especially with the does and the bucks you know they all have their own half of the the pie so i mean i i've really I like the whole fact that a lot of people are trying to learn age and, and changing from, you know, maybe eight, 10 years ago, uh, we were all shooting the first three and a half year old we saw because that was a considered a mature animal. And with the knowledge that we've all kind of learned now is that, you know, as that three and a half year old was still growing his body at that, at that year, so it, it really can take away from the nutrients needed for rat growth. And, and I'm seeing a lot of people understanding that that four-year-old is probably your first true signs of seeing probably 90, 85% of that deer's genetic potential, you know, and you're getting to see the, the rat growth, the impressive head year and stuff like that. So, you know, when you get into the five-year-olds and then and if you get lucky enough to even have a six-year-old come through and, and stay around, I mean, those that's when you are seeing that max potential. And that's, you know, that's, I guess everybody has their own level as a hunter. And and in my, this is my first year passing a, a five-year-old and passing multiple four-year-olds. And I've never done I've passed four-year-olds before, but not five-year-old. So, I mean, for me to be able to do that this year, it just feels like, you know, I can't tell everybody that that's, that was a smart decision. If you, Because, I mean, I don't know that that deer will make it. I don't know about the four-year-olds or the three-year-olds that would make it. You know, I know of a three-year-old with double drop times and everything, I was just praying would make it. And of course, eight other people had pictures of that deer because it's so unique and uh, and the neighbor shot it. So, you know, you're always going to have those deer that you wish that, you know, as a specialist, you know, they have the genetic potential to be amazing. 
and then you always have these deer that seem to live forever that are like seven points and eight points <laughs> that are that nobody can get a shot at so and, and be and be the main breeders and everything you know so i just a lot of the clients that and a lot of customers and different even just people that's or on social media have just really sent me pictures and said, how old do I think this deer is? So we had like this, uh, this generic thing that I just keep telling everybody is you really have to just kind of pay attention to that neckline, the bottom of his neck. If it goes straight to the bottom of his brisket, you know, the bottom of his chest and you have a chest that can o- almost look like it's bigger than his bottom. I mean, if it looks like his front shoulders are bigger than his back shoulder, his back haunches, then you're you're looking at, in my opinion, you're looking at a four-year-old deer without knowing any history. I mean, that deer it looks overloaded on the front end, and then when you get into the five-year-olds, you can just tell when you look at that front shoulder, his front shoulders are just as big as his back end, and then that neck, of course, that goes straight to the brisket level back sometimes a lot of times those five-year-olds and older deer their shoulder blades will start showing where their body's just kind of like pulling on them and they can see when they walk and you can see shoulder blades poking up you know those things are like what i try to tell people to to look for on those mature deer but you know as as winter comes on to us and the rut starts winding down and those deer just run and run and run those i mean you could see up to 30% body, uh, body weight loss. And I mean, it's hard for some people to understand that a deer that was 200 pounds a month ago could be running around at 150 to 140 and still be the same maturity, but look like a three-year-old, you know, because you, so I think, you know, as people send me pictures now and knowing that the rut is basically winding down, I really have to tell them, you know, look, you could put 50 pounds on this deer possibly. And, and that's what he was a month ago, you know? So you really have to know these deer a little bit earlier. I I don't like aging and feeling like I'm very accurate when, until like late summer that right there up to rut, um, those necks can fool you, you know, of course in the rut, you know, you know, as well as I do that, now everything gets swollen up when they start chasing the girls. So uh, some of those three-year-olds look really big. But I think that was the biggest thing I've I've had here lately this year. It seems like. Yeah, and I've noticed something similar. So the bucks, obviously, they're they're worn down. You know, we've got I've got a couple deer, a couple two and a half year old deer that that I've been watching and and just watching their body change. You know, throughout these you know last month or so, and then right now, you know what their what their patterns are and, and where they're locating themselves. But, you know, a bunch of these does that I have on my property, they, they look like just monstrous animals. I mean, the, 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 puff, the puffiness of their hair, you know, we've had these storms. It's probably been 10 to 15 degrees. And with wind chills, you know, it's, it's lower than that. But it's been super cold here in New York, uh, particularly I'm in central New York, if anybody's familiar with this area. And, uh, you know, just their, their puffy body size, sometimes that, you know, makes a, a deer that was smaller look larger. And uh, I've seen that that an opposing issue um so just things to consider taking a look at that body size and it's interesting some of the does on our property they have unique marks on them and we're watching we're watching these deer as three or four year old does and uh you know again not not many people around here are managing 
And uh, these are really big, big deer. And they, they just look absolutely monstrous this year. Just a lot of, must be a lot of visceral fat and just in good shape and size. And so I've been really happy. I think we're going to have a, a, a decent survival depending on, you know, how this, this winter goes. And for us, the, the months that matter is, you know, uh, March and April. Those are the toughest months here in, in upstate and, uh, you know, we, we have to pay attention to survival rates at that point because you're going to lose probably anywhere between 10 to 15 percent. You know, just general winter loss is pretty much the percentage. And, you know, through hunting season, you know, the combination of that, you know, you're looking at 10, 20, 15, 30 percent, you know, just just during hunting season. Some areas they get really hammered. You'll get you get a 50 percent loss. But, you know, it, it's just it depends on the country that you're in and the type of hunting pressure you're dealing with. But just that whole survival thing. The other thing I, almost, I wanted to add to this whole, you know, age and scoring and all that stuff is I'd recommend for somebody if you're shooting deer, you know, Rocky, you're, you're kind of in another world. I don't think a lot of people are, you know, I know that was a step up for you passing kind of these older deer. But, you know, look at the average antler quality in your area and get, you know, a Boone and Crockett score or rough score, whatever you want to do. Um, and then compare that against, you know, uh, the other deer that you're going after. And that's kind of your threshold. It's like, okay, we, we have a rough idea based on, you know, numerous pictures of this deer. And we're saying to ourselves, okay, how old is this deer? And what's its rough antler size and, and rough score them, right? You'll have pictures of them, closer the better. And, and kind of rough score that deer and see if it meets or exceeds your average. Or maybe it's it's a, a declining number. So kind of look at that as a means to make a decision on, on that deer's quality and it's comparable quality. I think that's something that we need to do more frequently. And like you said, some of these four or five-year-old bucks, we've got a bunch of them that, uh, you know, I've seen over the years that are six or seven pointers that are, are nothing special, you know, 100 inches or, or lower. So, you know, that's just something that I would use as, as a threshold to make some of those decisions on what deer to go after. Uh, any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I do I do think that it's very important to, to humble yourself with the area that you're hunting in. Um, I, I, I have the dreamer clients myself that, you know, they, they see the Midwest bucks, they see everything that people are killing and they're, and they're just like, well, that's what I want to grow here. And I understand that's what you want to do, but you know, your genetic potential is your genetic potential. So the best thing you can do is hire somebody like us, you know, that, that will help you, maximize what you have and, and make the, you know, the nutrition to the maximum level, to your herd health, your stress levels, your pressure, all those things, you can change all that. But then at the end of the day, those deer, when they hit maturity, they're only going to be what they're going to be. So uh, being able to recognize uh, bucks that are, that have the potential to go above and beyond any other deer in that area is is super part of my game like uh, what i do is really just focus on those deer i passed you know a four-year-old deer this year that's mid 140s but then i shot at one you know but the reason is is because i know that property and i know that and it's only 70 acres but i know that property and i know that transition area and i know those deer have a very high success rate as far as survival so you know we don't have that that our hunter other hunters is how our deer die just basically yeah i mean we don't really have we are a cwd area but i don't that doesn't really seem to affect anything that i do uh 
other than it gives me more liberal hunting rights, you know, where I can shoot three does a day and I can shoot three bucks and then I can earn bucks by shooting does and having them tested. You know, it's just crazy. But, you know, and you can abuse that. And sure, I'm sure some people do and they just shoot lots of stuff. But in reality, it gives me a huge platform to manage with. You know, I, I can really just be as aggressive as I want and then I can also not be. So, you know, when it comes to studying and letting those kind of deer walk i'm only doing it for the trophy purposes you know because i you know my freezer's already full i've had a great season and really it doesn't make sense to me to to shoot a deer that's not just something special so um you know what's special to me is probably real special to somebody else and then somebody from the midwest might not even look at what i shoot you know so i mean we all have our areas so i just really believe the age thing is is where i try to focus you know if i've shot a five-year-old deer i shot a really really good deer what he has on his rack i don't even score my deer because of that fact i don't want to make less of them so I just really believe in the aging and, and trying to get deer to that maturity level and, and then pursuing them, you know? Yeah. And I kind of want to get into maybe more of the data side of things and where, you know, people are trying to, you know, if you still have your hunting season, it's, it's ongoing, you know, what are you doing with the current data, you know, for at least from trail cameras, how are you shifting, you know, your trail cameras to collect data, um, you know, early season, obviously people are really focused on scrapes and then, you know, obviously, you know, we're, you're focused on food sources and then, then you go to transition areas, you know, there's all these different theories on when and where and why and all that type of stuff. What are you doing right now with your trail cameras? And then what data are you collecting or wanting to collect for next season? Cause at this point you've kind of met your quota of, of deer that you've wanted to kill. What, what's your strategy? Well, um, right now we're just, you know, of course, we're, we're moving towards late season. Our, our season's a little different than yours. We don't have that temperatures that you have at all. Yeah. Um, my kids were running around in shorts and splashing and playing in the rain today. Uh, <laughs> so, But it was 55 degrees and raining. And then tomorrow, we have that 20-degree drop in temperature. So now, uh, and we had winds tonight, and we have a – over a 10 to 15 mile an hour drop in, in winds. We're going to have over 20 uh, degree drop in temperature tonight down to 35. Uh, so, so tomorrow and then clear skies following the front. So tomorrow I have literally taken off work and I'm going to hunt. <laughs> so, because I feel like if you are a mature deer, that's what you're waiting on that to, to exceed those. I think every deer moves in the daylight, uh, even, you know, at Nomad, there's no such thing as nocturnal deer completely to me. But when it comes to those temperature drops and those kind of weather changes, there's going to be an excessive amount of movement during the daylight, and especially for those mature deer, in my opinion. So those are the days I pick to really hunt. I don't I don't like pressure in properties. I like to to hand pick when I when I do. So uh the cameras are always adjusting to the deer and my studies on on deer is usually you know the summer groups or bachelor groups and you're trying to get an intel on what deer like your property during the summer and 
normally if you keep that food source, especially you know grain food and, and mix it with greens, if you'll keep that food source, those deer seem to buzz through there for just a short spell during the rut. But then late season, they come back. Mm-hmm. And, and we've had a lot of success basically changing the cameras back to the food source and, and start monitoring the food sources and seeing when those big groups of does start really focusing on the food in the daylight earlier and earlier, knowing that, you know, when they start hitting it at 2.30 and 3 and it's getting dark at, you know, 5.36, you got a good chance that a buck is going to hit one of those food sources. So, yeah. And then, of course, right now we're kind of in the tail end of the rut and maybe what people call the second rut, which is basically, you know, your leftover does or or fawn does that have built body weight up. But, you know, that would be considered what we're at right now here in the south. I mean, we're we're finishing the peak rut. We're in that lockdown period, and we're really kind of coming out of the lockdown, which, you know, those food sources, once again, if he is locked down with there and it's close to a bedding area, I mean, he's going to get drug out into that food source and you could get a shot. So, I mean, what we're really doing is kind of moving all the cameras and not all of them, but, you know, the ones that are kind of spot specific, like a lot of times we're, we're making these scrapes and, you know, the scrapes kind of run dry during the rut. And then right after the rut, though, they'll get hit again. So I like to freshen them, but I like to move it to the field edges where my food sources are because I know a lot of the does are going there and if you make scrapes right there that's what the bucks are doing they're just they're hanging out with the does but then they're still you know still excited wait, waiting for one of those does to come in so I'll I'll move all my scrapes out of the wood transition areas out to those food sources I'll put scrape trees out and stuff like that and that's where I've had the best success really on this lockdown period and into the late season, really just trying to get pictures of those deer and kind of see who made it through the rut, who's who's with the ladies, and and is he is he desirable, you know? And then of course, you know, once you know how many does are hitting a food source, you'll kind of get an idea. All right, we have four times the does than we do bucks. We definitely need to take a few does off, and we'll you know change our tactics at the very end and try to get a few does out uh, just to help manage that herd a little better. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting to me and it's, it's nice when you're able to ID does, which is really hard to do, but you get these properties that are highly managed and they have a lot of late season food, you get this major influx and then it starts to deteriorate the the habitat and um, you just can't have, have enough food for these deer in our area, obviously specifically Woody Browse. And you kind of struggle balancing all that. Uh, I've got some clients that have, oh, goodness, acres and acres. I'm thinking of one particular client, acres and acres of late season food. And uh, his numbers go through the roof. You know, normally he's probably at, you know, just in his general area, 30 to 35 deer per square mile on average. You know, he gets up into the 60s, 70s, basically doubles the numbers during a certain period of time. And it's, it's almost a bad thing, right? So it almost inflates the, the deer numbers specifically. 
Um, and you know, you go out there and, and, you know, have at it. I mean, it typically, um, you know, depending on what your goals are, I, I'm going to shoot those deer just to disperse them a little bit from the property. And, you know, of course, if I need to free the, fill the freezer, I'm, I'm going to take advantage of that. But I've, I've seen, I've, I've seen things change tremendously on these properties. The deer start to congregate. You know, one thing I just want to notice, uh, or I mentioned, uh, I want to mention here was, you know, moving trail cameras on my property now i only have 40 48 acres on my property i don't move any trail cameras i have you know trail cameras on food sources you know trail cameras within bedding areas trail cameras on transition areas i just have you know the cameras in a lot of different you know a lot of different locations with the objective of you know collecting data all season and i can watch the influx of you know when they're using a transition area more than you know they're using a, a, a particular bedding area versus how they're using a food source in relationship to the bedding area so if you have a smaller property and you have the ability to have a lot of cameras laid out that might be a strategy for you as well so you don't have to go in there um, but that's not always the case and obviously people have cameras that they want to check um, and i have cameras that are soaked way in my property i never even check those till i guess at the end of the season um, our season comes to a close here next week and then we have this like week of late season and I, I'm on clients, I'm already doing clients now, but you know, I'm dying to take a look at some of that data. I know in most cases what deer lived and died. And uh, you know, we still got a few more days and I'm just praying some of these deer make it and, and uh, the neighbor doesn't get on to a couple of the deer that I've been passing. So, you know, it's it's always that it's always that gauntlet of change. Anything else that you want to get on? Anything that you know has been on your mind that you think I mean it's been a while since you've been on the podcast. Um, so anything that you want to just talk about for you? Well, not, uh, not really. I mean, I just am excited about the days to come cause we really don't get the weather, you know, yeah. that you guys would already had. And like you said, your season's coming to an end and we go all the way to the end of January. So we'll, we'll have us. And then if you hunt Mississippi, it goes into February. So, we have a very long season. Uh, we're probably halfway through ours. And, um, you know, I feel like it was been, it's already been a very, if I would have been perfect, which I'm not obviously this year, <laughs> you know, I could, I, I could have had four really, really nice deer down and, uh, and have passed, you know, some really nice deer. So I feel like I've, you know, my success this year is already there. You know, I've already surpassed last year. I'm, I'm excited and, and, uh, thrilled to be able to, for the first time, we usually close like January 6th. So this year they push the CWD all the way to January 31st. So we're going to actually get to hunt some of the cold weather for the first time in my life uh hmm. in tennessee yeah uh so so like when when season would close in the past we would drive the road you know going to work or wherever and we would always just say the deer no deer season's over because i mean every field would be full of deer and you're just like this is amazing look at all these deer so now we're gonna actually have a deer season into that and it's gonna be pretty cool to to witness uh not that I'm just going to go out guns blazing, but I mean, it's just going to be really neat to see the deer and see if they really can by habit, like 
learn that season's over, but it's really not, you know, for the first time. Sure. And really, and I, I just really am intrigued to see how the deer act. If they just totally drop their guard, like we think they do, you know, and they just start walking out and going and, or if they really just, we're just not in a stand in a pressured area. We're in the truck now and we're seeing all the deer that normally come out anywhere. So yeah. I don't, you know, so I'm, it'll be kind of neat. That's what's, that's what's exciting about this year is something going to be new to us in this area and, uh, be, be really cool to, to finally have a season. I hate that our rifle season's so long and there's so many deer that, die of course because of it uh, but at the same time if if you really had the food like you said you could double your numbers you could really suck in some of these deer that did survive the rut off of these other properties that got hunted mainly just during the rut and and possibly keep them alive you know yeah so yeah absolutely that's, that's, that's the hopes anyway yeah and, and uh, you know I, I it'll be interesting to hear the outcome of that and, and the rest of your season and we'll obviously have you back on here to talk about strategy you know we're we're walking into what i call this is the data collection period this is who lived and died understanding the population dynamics herd ratios that all the all the important things that we we've talked about here in the podcast you know now is the time to collect that data prep for next year if you're still hunting you know that observation data is critical who lived and and died and and you can see how they're using your landscape. And also it's important, like I mentioned earlier, is to think about, you know, what that potential, you know, ideal carrying capacity is of your property if you're exceeding it at certain points of the year uh, because of the immigration of deer based on the, the quality of habitats you're providing and see how degraded it is. And I think that's those are kind of some takeaways I had from this discussion today. Um, I like the idea of, of, you know, there isn't one size fits all when you're aging deer I talked earlier about tooth age wear and, and its inaccuracies at certain intervals. I think, you know, there's been percentages thrown out there. It's only 55% accurate at three and a half. Yeah, you know, I 100% agree with you on that one. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and so, you know, Josh and I, my, my partner here, we, we get a lot of deer, um, you know, because of his business and, and my business. And people are always asking us, just like you. And, you know, we are looking at the jaws. We're looking at the body size. You know, we've 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 had Mariah Borges on this, and he talked a little bit to me off offline about you know what he did in, in North Carolina, how he's measuring and looking at different characteristics of deer, and it's it's really not a one size fits all. And in our areas, the you know cement manuli testing does make sense just based on the rigorous winters we have. Um, you can see the uh, I guess the tooth age as it relates to the uh, composition of the incisors, and you can kind of see that wearing and um, uh, stress periods in between each uh, each growth each growth ring. So th that's kind of an interesting thing for me. That's it's a lot truer in the north than it is the south. But um, just just a lot of things to think about this time of year. If you have time to sit back and start thinking about you know habitat season or how, reflecting on your season, kind of like Rocky was doing on this podcast. I just feel like you know it's uh, there's a lot to be gained every year, and uh, like you said, it humbles us at times with your wins and losses, and then. Obviously, the outcome you're you're looking forward to next year and, and to prep and and have another successful season annually is just you know just something to look forward to. So I'm I kind of wanted to end on that on my end. So those are things that I've been thinking about. Yep, it sounds uh sounds like we're we're all on the same page because everything we everything we do all season it's not all about pulling the trigger. It's all it seems to be you know the management process is more about 
better in what you can have. And, and if you pulled the trigger at every single thing you saw, there's, you're never going to get there. So yeah. my wife always messes with me. She says, you can't kill those one sixties shooting those one thirties. And I was like, okay, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah. but she, she, does, she says that more or less because she sees these younger bucks that get, that have that potential, you know, have the kickers, have the extra 10 to 12 points and stuff like that. And they're getting harvested because they have a big rack at a young age and they're getting seen. So they get shot. And then the, you know, it's just, it's just a shame that people can't recognize that as a deer that it, if they really desire those bigger deer, those are the ones you got to let go no matter what. So yeah, it's hard for me to let them go. I know, I know the, the battle, but that's the ones that we do let go. And, uh, it's, and that's why I, every year I have something that caliber to chase. Yep. So. And, and, I, and I can relate. And this has been my contemplation all year. I've had one deer that's a three and a half year old that's in the one thirties. That's in our area. That is top end, uh, first class, yeah. world class. And, you know, there's, there's only one buck in that caliber and all the deer I've been hunting here, there's one and I have let him go and boy, I hope he makes it. Uh, he's going to be a heck of a buck next year. Um, but it, it's been a big gamble doing that. And, uh, Still have more season to go. So, you know, I'm, I'm saying this and the season's not over. I think he might still be alive, but I haven't seen him in a little bit. And if he does next year, that will be my target deer. And my probability to kill him is about 60% right now, just based on the his habits. And I've already had encounters with him. So, you know, it's starting to prep. I'm already starting to prep for next year. And I'm doing some stuff on my land that I've, I haven't done before. I've got new strategies on how to manage hillsides and timber and I'm employing some new concepts that I'm coming up with. And uh, it's this constant uh, evolution of change. I'm, I'm into, you know, new ideas and how to build hunting properties different, different from anybody else. And that's, that's my thing because, again, if I'm not building the habitat, I'm not getting those age class or those high quality deer that I want to I kill. So, you know, I think we can all relate to that. And that's, that's the whole point of this thing. So, Rocky, thanks for being on, man. We'll get back with you soon. Um, it was awesome checking in with you because it's been a bit for us. And uh, I hope the rest of your hunt season goes well. Who knows, you may harvest again. If you do, make sure you send me a picture. All right, buddy. I appreciate you having me. All right, man. Talk soon. See ya. Bye. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com.